So if you don't know me, my name is Jeremy Sides. I am the worship director here at Carolina Family Church. And I get to continue us in this series called Evidence. And it's all about the heroes of the faith in Hebrews, the hall of faith, the hall of famers for faith. And looking at what made them so faithful and what they went through and what came out of it and how we can really apply that to our lives. That's really what this series is about. It's just all about faith. And I want to say that, no offense to John, I really like series like this. I really like the Summer Story series where you hear from different people in the church, when you hear from a couple that's going through something, because you, you hear an experience, you see something that God is, is using them through or something they're struggling with, and it allows us to identify with people in our church that we may not even know. Right? It allows us to identify with their struggle and then learn from it. And, you know, I think that's what this life is all about, really. God never tells us that we're not going to struggle. In fact, he tells us the opposite of that. Being Christians, we are going to struggle. But it's the faith and, we, and trust that we have in him bringing us out of that and allowing us to be used to help other people through the same problem. That is what life, to me, is all about. And when you stand up here and you hear from something, from someone that is struggling, it can help you if you're struggling with the same thing. And that's why I love this series so much. Listen, we have a lot of people in this church who have gone through a lot of things, and we have a strong testimony. And with our powers combined... Anybody that walks through those doors, we should be able to help as a family or individually. I was amazed. We, we've had some things happening in this church. This year has been like a roller coaster of things. And what I am so proud of is that when I see people stand up and surround people, because you care about them, and maybe you have something that can help them. I've had people come to me and say, I know there's a problem. I know some, what's going on. I can help. And part of me says, why do I not know this? Why do I not know you know how to do this? Or you know people that can help with this? And the other part of me says, thank you so much for standing up and saying something. That's what church family is all about. And that's why we push groups so much. Because there's, there's something about sitting beside someone who is going through something. And being vulnerable, that connects you to them, that makes you want to check on them, that makes you want to pray for them, that makes you want to lift them up. And also, it opens you up. It makes you vulnerable to support that person and to open up yourself. That's why groups are so important. It helps you identify with someone who you may not have ever identified with or not even known. And all of a sudden, you have a lifelong friend, a chosen family. Plug. <laughs> this stuff just, it's called the cuff, man. That just cut, that just cut, sorry. Some of the stuff sticks, some of it doesn't. We'll just, we'll just see what happens. But that, it's that identity that is the key. There are, there's such a identification problem in this culture. People are searching for something to identify with. 
And if we aren't ready, if we're not vulnerable, if we aren't capable of sharing the things that we have gone through, the struggles that we have gone through, the trust and faith we've had to put in Jesus Christ to pull us out of that, we may not be ready to help them identify in the one that matters, which is Jesus Christ. That's the identification that matters. That's the only one that matters in a world that is struggling with identification and identifying with anything they can get a hold of. I was just in Texas, and I told the lady on the plane I identified as a first class. Uh, I did. It didn't work. I was like, well, you have to honor my identification, right? I said, no, too bad. I was like, okay, that's fair. Yeah, go back to, the, to where the bathrooms are. That's where you're sitting. Middle seat, 28. Got it. But that's what this series is all about. It's about faith, right? And hearing from Aaron and hearing from Dennis and hearing from Ben, I love that. And the series that we're going to continue. It's all, just hearing from people you don't get to hear from, identifying with them, feeling vulnerable with them, that's a really special thing for a church family, and uh, I'm glad we're doing it. So, for better or worse, that leaves you to me, right, today. And... You know, this series is set in the Old Testament. And what I feel like is that we can kind of get separated from the Old Testament. You know, you hear these stories about sacrifice and murder and uh, epic floods that take out the population, repopulating, kind of Lord of the Rings stuff. You know, and if you go outside of this, you get into Moses' part in the Red Sea. Like, these aren't things that happen to you every day. At least not me. Maybe they happen to you. I don't know. But miracles like that are not something that we see every day. God appearing to people and speaking to them. So we can kind of get separated from this and feel like it's a little, we're a little disconnected from it. And the guys have done a great job of relating us to those stories. And Ben came over last week and talked about Abraham. Now Abraham was this, he was a great man, right? He was the starter of it. The, what a, I said at one time, the OJ, the original Jew, right? That's an old joke, but it still works here, right? He was the one that started it all and how, how this, what he went through. And behind every great man, there is a what? Great woman. Oh, there you go. Even better woman. And that is who I get to talk about today. That is Sarah, who is Abraham's wife. And she has her own place in the faith hall of fame. Has nothing to do with Abraham. She is there on her own. Right? And you already know, there's no spoilers here, she had a kid named Isaac, right? They struggled, had the kid. You already know that. Right? That is past my story. So I can't spoil it for you. I'm just going to tell you the things that lead up to that. And I, I text Ben last week and I said, look man, you cannot talk about Sarah. Right? I've got two verses. That's all. Like, I got nothing else. There's not a whole lot on Sarah. If you say her name, I am done. Right? And he was gracious enough to leave her out of it. So that is what leads me to this uh, story about Sarah today. So I'll give you guys a second. If you want, our first text is going to be in Hebrews. Hebrews 11. Uh, if you are old school and you brought your Bibles. If not, there's a version app. You can use that. And I know because I was late and created it this morning sitting up in the booth. But it was mine, so there you go. 
I'll give you guys a second to get there. Um, actually, you know what? I'm going to go old school too. I can read it off the screen. But I brought my Bible out here and I marked it. Actually, you know what? You know, I didn't. I'm already in Genesis. You know what? I'll read it off the screen. All right, Hebrews 11, 11. By faith, Sarah herself also received strength to conceive seed. And she bore a child when she was past the age because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born as many as the stars of the sky and the multitude innumerable, innumerable as the sand which is by the seashore. So that's the miracle. That's what her faith produced. Her faith, not Abraham's. Believing that the one who made the promise was faithful. That's what put her in the Faith Hall of Fame. But there is a whole lot more to this story. A whole bunch of other things happen. And I think out of all these stories, this is the one that we can connect to together. Right? This is a story about two people struggling. About two people who are connected, who God is leading, but they are struggling. And they end up in the Faith Hall of Fame. So let's talk about how they got there. And the only thing I can really say about Abraham and Sarah, because there's not a lot of info uh, about who they were before God met them. Right? But I can say that they were in a land called Ur. You are. In a town, in a country called Ur. And I, I wanted to put this in uh, relative terms to us. So they're in Jacksonville, Florida. Okay? If you look at a map, that's where Ur is. Over there. It's, it's down here in Jacksonville, Florida. And this is a, an extremely pagan place. In fact, in Joshua, it says that all of Abraham's family were pagan. Doesn't say anything about him. Doesn't say anything about Sarah. Good or bad. It just says that they were surrounded by paganism. And if you want to put this into context as to when this is happening, he is the great, 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 great son, grandson of Noah. Okay, roughly 500 years have passed since the flood. So you've had 500 years close to it of repopulation. So here you have Abraham and Sarah who get married at 50. He's 50, she's 40. And they're surrounded by pagans. And they're living in Jacksonville, Florida. This, I, look, it'll help in a minute. Just hold on. And God shows up. There's a whole lot of context. I would love to know about who Abraham was. I don't, and I'm not going to make up something. So that's all I can say. The context is... God shows up to Abraham and says, get out of here and go to a land that I'm going to show you. Doesn't tell him where it is. Doesn't tell him where he's going. He just says, get your stuff, get your family, pack up your tents, get your belongings, and start walking. And Abraham does it. That's why I want to know what's going on. Because Abraham is a man in a pagan land Surrounded by pagans, his dad makes idols. He is the one that God comes to 
and says, get to walking. And there is a whole nother series on that, right? Sometimes you just got to take a step. But I can't talk about that today. We're in Jacksonville, Florida. All right, so he, he gets out of Jacksonville, packs up all his stuff, and goes to Memphis, all right? If you're looking at a map, that's about where he went to. Canaan, where he's supposed to go, where God is going to later show him, is Texas. But there is a desert in between them. So he can't go that way. So he just starts walking in the most normal way possible, which is a trade route that leads to Haran, which I'm calling Memphis. And if any of you need an earwig, he's walking in Memphis. Okay, there you go. <laughs> I've, had it in my, I've had it in my brain all week. Now you got it. So he's walking to Memphis. Let me say, he's walking to Memphis. It takes a little while with your elders, your nephews, your nieces, their kids, your cattle. I can't even imagine. I have 60-some goats. I can't imagine herding them to Memphis. Right? It's going to take a while. When I was 20, early 20s, a buddy of mine had an extra, I can tell you why he had an extra ticket, but he had an extra, extra ticket to a cruise with his parents, right? And I was like, free cruise, let's go. Then tell me anything else about it. Get in the car, packed, bags are packed. We start driving north. I was like, why are we, where are we, okay, that's cool. There's a cruise north. We go into Amish country. Like, there's no cruise, what is this? It's a Christian tourist cruise, which is fine. Okay, I, that was, that's no problem. But we get on a Greyhound bus. I have to go north to get on a Greyhound where other than my buddy's parents, I'm the youngest person by 60 years. <laughs> no offense. But at 21, now that I'm 44, I appreciate the stopping every 30 minutes. <laughs> I do. And I love cafeterias. Right? Piccadillys are my best friend. When K&W closed, that was devastating. <laughs> but I understand traveling with a lot of things and a lot of people. Things take longer. So it takes him a good bit of time to get to Memphis. He's 70 when he leaves. He's 75 when he gets there. Around in, what happens next? He's 75. We don't know exactly how old was he got, when he got there. But we know he got there and stopped. And I would have stopped too. I'm like, this is Memphis. It's great. I'm tired. Right? He stopped. A lot of things happened in Memphis. His dad passed away. God shows back up. The, the interesting thing about this, I'm giving you guys a lot of context because I kind of have to. Because like I said, there's only two verses with Sarah. I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm expanding the story a little bit for us. God, it's interesting that God only gives him a little bit at a time. In Ur, he said, get up and go. In Haran, where he stopped and was hanging out, God had to come back and said, all right, I didn't tell you you could stop. It's time to move. Keep going. And the only other place he can go is south toward Canaan. Still didn't tell him. He said, actually, right now, he showed up and said, all right. I told you to get up and walk. You did. Now I'm going to tell you where to go. 
Go to the land of Canaan. So he takes everything he has and starts going to the land of Canaan. And we'll tell you, at, at this point, we know nothing about Sarah other than she is there. Right? She's along for the ride. We only know one thing about Sarah other than she's married to Abraham. And that is that she basically, tried to, she calls him Lord, okay? She obeys Abraham and calls him Lord. And last night when I was reading through some of this, I turned to Monica and said, hey, I need you to start calling me my Lord. <laughs> she called me a couple other things. <laughs> and... Uh, that was it. It didn't work. The relationships back there were different. Right? When the man said something, they did it. Now I say something and say, can I do that? Is that okay? Right? That's what's happening now. But that's who Sarah was up until this point. That's what we know about her. She was along for the ride, and she listened to what Abraham had to say. So God was relaying things to Abraham. Abraham was the one that was picking everybody up, and Sarah was the one that was just like, okay, let's do this. So they get into Canaan, and there's a famine. So they have to leave Canaan to go into Egypt. So he leaves the land that God has promised them because there's a famine, and he goes into Egypt. And here's the second, the first time we really see Sarah. And it says that she is exceedingly beautiful. So Abraham is afraid that they will do something to him to take her. So he says, you have to tell everyone that you are my sister. Which, FYI, was a half-truth because she was his half-sister. Same dad, different mother. Look, back then, it was a real small area, okay? <laughs> Things were different. But what I want to say about this is that a half-truth is not the truth. So they get there, and exactly what Abraham thought was going to happen, happened. They took Sarah. One of Pharaoh's people said, she is pretty. You're coming with me. And they take her. Now listen. I am okay with, like his motivation is, I don't want to die. Right? I can't argue with his motivation. But a half-truth is still not the truth. And I will say, just reading this stuff, you start to see little, you know, chinks in the armor. Because no offense to Abraham, because he is the great man that we read about and all this stuff, but he struggles too, which I think is great for us because we get to see somebody who is held in the highest regard in multiple religions, who had issues just like us. This is one of, this is something I struggle with because Confrontation is not in my DNA. I immediately, my first move is back. I want to make people happy. And I don't want someone to not like me. 
So I sometimes convince myself that it is the truth by omitting things I don't want you to know. For instance, with Monica, if I'm going to say something that's going to cause her stress or anxiety or fear, sometimes I omit things. I tell her what I, is, what's the truth, but I'll pull truths out of that so it doesn't hurt her feelings or so that I don't have to have confrontation, thinking that I will handle it later. Look, guys, I'm, I'm part-time. Another, I gotta, every time I got to sneak that in. I'm the part-time pastor here, okay? I struggle just like everybody else. So I get what Abraham is doing here with Sarah, but he's still lying. And for one thing, he's not trusting God. So Sarah is now in the house of Pharaoh, and that is not God's plan. So God has to come in, and you know what he does? He brings infectious diseases into the house of Pharaoh. He brings in COVID. <laughs> too soon? Too soon. Gee, man, I knew it was going to be too soon. But it, <laughs> the first round, I heard that. The first round was pretty bad, okay? There's infectious diseases. And Pharaoh doesn't say how. He finds out that Abraham is lying about. So he comes to Abraham and says, dude, what's up? Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? He says, get your stuff and get out of here. Abraham could have just trusted God. He could have just said, look, we're going to tell the truth, and we're going to trust God that he'll bring us out of this. But that's not what happened. And here God has to step in and save the day and get him back on plan. So they leave back into Canaan. And the next part is where you really start to see what's happening with Sarah. Because God comes to them again. This time Abraham's 85, Sarah's 75. And he says, all right, step out here under the stars. Look at all these stars. You see them? I'm going to make you and all your descendants as many as the stars. And Abraham, what you need to know is that Abraham said, how could you do this? Sarah cannot have kids. And God said, from your own flesh and blood. Now, I've never gone through something like this, all right? I married into a family that had a 15-year-old. I've never struggled infertility. I've never uh, crossed that bridge. And I know that some people in this audience have. I can't imagine being the wife of someone who has promised that his descendants will be like the stars in the sky and cannot have kids. I can't imagine being Sarah, if you can put yourself in that place, struggling with that. So she did what a lot of us like to do. She took control. She took charge. And she came to Abraham and said, look, I can't have kids. This is not going to happen here. So take our servant and have a kid with her, and then that will make the descendant chain. Bad idea. 
And Abraham said, no, we're not doing that. No. He said, all right. <laughs> There's no Adam and Eve thing going on right here. All right. Listen, cheek in the armor. I love this. You start to see a little. Abraham just said, look, I, I'm putting a lot of this on Abraham. Because for Sarah, who does not know the promise, who was not spoken to, she hears from your flesh and blood, Abraham, this is going to happen. So she takes control. How many of us do that? How many of us like to be in control? How many of us get really crazy when we're not in control? <laughs> Sarah takes control. And again, they deviate from God's plan. And that he has a kid with a servant. Now look, I... I know that there's not one plan because if there was, I was off of it a long time ago. When I was, I, when I was in high school, it even started early. My teachers called me Pastor Jeremy. I had people left and right telling me I was going to be a pastor, telling me I was going to be in the ministry. I had elders in the church have visions of me standing in front of preaching to people and I was always looked at them like they were crazy. I don't want to do any of that. The church I grew up in, I didn't want to be like that. I didn't want to have that life. I love God. I love uh, being in church, but I didn't want to be in the ministry. So I ran from it. And I started feeling the call for it. And I kept running. And I went to a school for something that had nothing to do with ministry. And I got out and started working as an engineer and was miserable. And I had a job that people said, you know, you ever had that? Well, people would do your job for free. And I said, why don't you go find somebody instead of paying me? That doesn't make any sense. Like, oh, sorry. That one didn't land. I got it. We're good. I could not be happy. God would not let me be happy. And I spent two or three more years just wandering around, taking jobs that had nothing to do with the ministry. And then one day, I said, all right. All right. I got it. I hear you. Let's do it. And then I started saying, you know what? I, don't, I can't afford it. And God said, all right, here's some money. Mostly student loans, but I do it, you know? <laughs> There's lots of miracles, okay? They happen in different ways. And I said, I, literally, I was like, I, I don't know anybody down there. I'm moving to a whole other state. I've never done that before. God said, all right. He called my best friend to go with me. I said, you know what? I can't afford a car. He gave me a car. Well, it might have not been a nice one, but he gave me one. The point is, there was a plan. And I kept deviating from it. And then God came up and said, look, this is going to happen whether you like it or not. You're going to get down there. But I still had to deal with all the things that happened because of it, because I was wasting time. There's lots of things I missed out on. Now, granted, all that stuff brought me to Monica, brought me here. It's amazing what has happened to my life since then. But there was a plan. And I think I deviated from it because I wouldn't 
accept the call. I didn't want to do that. I wanted to be in control of my own life. Sarah wanted to be in control. And she was feeling pressure and all those things that come along with not being able to give Abraham a son. So she took charge. And God can always deviate from the plan. I look at it sometimes as a big chessboard. And over there is life. And we're playing with God. And life will move a chess piece. And God will say, you might want to move that one. And now I'm going to move this one. And he's like, okay, okay, well, all right, whatever. Let's go over here. You're going to have to deal with all the stuff that happened because you moved that chess piece, but I'm going to get you back over here. What happened is they had a kid with a servant who was now going to butt heads with Isaac for the rest of their lives. Generation upon generation upon generation of fighting like siblings. That was not supposed to happen. That is the consequence of what Sarah did by taking things in, in her own hands, in control. You're still going to have to deal with the consequences. But God can deviate from that plan and pull you out of that. And that's exactly what he did. So God shows up again, and every time he gets a little more specific. He said, okay, Abraham. Maybe I wasn't clear enough last time. Again. You're going to have as many kids as the sand. Now, you're going to have them with Sarah. This is Abraham's response. Genesis 17. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and thought to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is 100 years old? And shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? Now, I don't know what kind of relationship you have with God. But if he shows up and tells you that something's going to happen and you fall on your face and laugh, I, don't, I think I would be fairly worried of that. <laughs> but that's exactly what Abraham did. Fell on his face and laughed. But he believed. He believed that it was going to happen. And then, because it probably isn't enough, God shows up one more time to talk to Sarah. And the same thing happened with Sarah. Look at verse 17, verse 9. Then Abraham, I'm sorry, the next one. Then they said to him, where is Sarah your wife? So he said, here in the tent. And he said, I will certainly return to you according to the time. And behold, your wife shall have a son. Sarah was listening in the tent door was behind him. Now, Abraham and Sarah were old, well advanced in age, and Sarah had passed the age of childbearing. Therefore, Sarah laughed within herself, saying, after I, have, after I have grown old, shall I have pleasure, my Lord being old also? And the Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh, saying, shall I surely bear a child since I am old? Is anything too hard for the Lord? At the appointed time, I will turn to you according to the time of life, and Sarah shall have a son. But Sarah denied laughing, saying, I did not laugh, for she was afraid. And he said, no, but you did laugh. Look, I searched and searched for what put Sarah 
in the Faith Hall of Fame. Okay? I have limited information to go on called the Bible. Because it appears up to this point, they are a mess. They're doing what God says, but all along the way, messing up and deviating from that plan. And then laughing at God when he tells them that something's going to happen because in their mind, physically, they think it can't. I can tell you, that sounds like a lot of people I know. Before reading these stories, I didn't really identify with Abraham. Because he was this great man. I never thought about him in this way. I never thought about him making the same mistakes I do. I never thought about him lying. I never thought about him taking matters into his own hands because he doesn't trust God. Look, they are the same as we are. Yet they are considered in the highest regard for their faith. Because at the end of the day, they believed. They believed that God could do what he was going to do and trusted it. And at 100 years old, and Sarah being 90, they had a kid named Isaac. And that is the line that Jesus came. Isn't that just the way that God works? When there is no other way. When there is nothing else that can happen. When there is nothing you can do about it. God shows up and makes it happen. So the only thing you can know is that he did it. Because at any other point, they could have said, well, it was nature. Something happened. We now can have kids. Something was going on. But past the age, when they were so old, nothing else could happen. God shows up. And it can only be him. That's what having faith is about. That's what having trust is about. Trusting in God that he will show up, and when he does, believing he will do something about it. Amen. Now, I, listen, I've been a part of a, a good bit of moments where it was only God and nothing else. I have been broken to places where all you can do is cry out and say, all right, it's yours. I got nothing. I have tried everything I can possibly do, and I have nothing left. And he shows up. And he was just waiting on me to let go. He was waiting on me to have faith and trust in him and let go of this moment. And he showed up. I will also tell you that I have been in moments where I said, I have nothing left. It is all you. I need you to show up. And he didn't. And then years later, I saw because of those, that big chessboard, 
that he was in working in ways that I never knew. He did show up, just not in the way that I needed him. He showed up in other ways. And that's when the faith and trust comes in. Because it is easy to trust God when he shows up and you see your miracle happening. It is hard to trust God when you are expecting something and it doesn't happen the way you think it should. That's what all those struggles do. They build that faith. They build that trust. So that when something happens in your life and you think God is going to show up for sure, this cannot be the way this happens. This cannot be happening to me. There is no way that this can be happening in a church. There is no way that people can be treating me like this. There's got to be something. And sometimes God shows up and says, you're right, there is. I'm right here. I got it. And then sometimes he says, hold on. What's happening is going to happen because there are people involved. And we all make choices. But have faith and have trust, and I got you. I will put you in a place, and it'll be okay. Listen, we have a lot of different people in this church. We have a lot of people who have come from a lot of different places. We have people who have been hurt. We have people who have struggled. I have people who have been hurt in places that you never would expect to be hurt. We're all in this together. We all struggle. But I have faith in Jesus Christ, and I trust him. And every day I walk in here and we let go of things and give them to God and trust that he will take care of it. We are looking forward to what is happening next with Carolina Family Church. And it's been a process. Because what we think should happen maybe doesn't. What we think is a wide open door is shut. But since day one, we have expected something and it's happened differently. Since day one, we thought we were going to be this, and God said, hold on. I got you. I need you to prepare first. And then, and then guess what? COVID happens. Had us. Got us. I got you. Not in the way we thought. Not in the way we were expecting. We even tried to control some stuff. Didn't happen. God had other ideas. Something we had no idea of. God had us. Fast forward. Right now, we are exploding. We're blowing up, which is a great thing. We are busting at the seams. The kids are standing on top of each other down there, right? <laughs> We're trying to make things happen. God is saying, hold on. Just wait. Trust me. Have faith in me that I've got something for you. Okay. Let's have faith together, all right? I have a whole other uh, couple of verses I was going to close with. I'm not going to do it. Kids are screaming. I can hear them. 
<laughs> I always go late. Okay, I'm not going to do it this time. And, uh, you know, I'm not real good at closing. I know that. It's always one of the things I got minus points on in seminary. Like, I, I get too uh, funny. Then I have a hard time bringing it down. You know? So, man, come on out here. You guys come on up. There's lots of, uh, we try to work on this transition a lot. Where, you know, the church mice aren't walking all behind us during prayer and stuff. It really never works out right. So I'm just going to go ahead and bring them up. And uh, I'm going to pray for us. And what I want to pray for is that, thanks, right there. What I want to pray for is that God will show us ways that we can be part of this church and use the struggles that we've gone through to help someone else and have faith and trust in him that he will lead us through that so that we will be prepared when we go to another place whenever that is to move in this community to be ready for the influx of more people there's a lot of things in this church that need to happen. We, we have healing that can happen. If that's you, get ready. Have faith. Have trust that Jesus Christ, God, has got it. He has got it, whether you can see it or not. And be willing to be used and be vulnerable to identify with other people. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the opportunity for me to be up here. Thank you for this church family. Thank you for your power, your foresight to change things, to keep redirecting us every time we go a side way. And then taking the circumstances and working them to your good. We thank you for your grace, for your mercy. I ask that you would put your hand on this church. Put your hands on my family, my people. And whatever they're dealing with, whatever the world has dealt them, whether they're in the struggle or they're through it, that we as a church can be ready with faith and trust to let go to let go and be ready for whatever you've got for us next. Out of our control, into yours. We love you.